Do not confuse this with treatment or mental health advice or direction. Nothing on this podcast is made to supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your mental health caretakers. Although David Koslowski is a licensed marriage and family therapist, he is not functioning as a certified mental health professional in this environment. And same applies to any professional who may appear on the Light, the Fight podcast. Welcome to the OG Therapy. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of OG Therapy. As always, I'm your host, David Kozlowski. And today, we got a guest, not a stranger, someone that I've talked to a couple times before. I've never seen him cry, though, just for the record. Never seen him cry. Is that true? I've seen him cry a bunch of times, man. What are you talking about? I was just trying to like... Because <laughs> usually when people come on here, they expect... I think some people sit with popcorn like, oh, he's going to make this dude cry. Yeah. Like, it's going to happen, so... Is it may or may not happen. If it does happen, hey, that's more clicks for for your boy Dave here. If it doesn't happen, then maybe we'll have to have him on again. So, without further ado, my special guest, Sean, the real OC Ocon. Hello, thanks for having me. Well, dude, uh, we just got done doing a podcast before we turned on the cameras, so we did about an hour of talking. <laughs> No, I, I really do appreciate you coming on. <clears throat> and um, it's been a long time since since the ESPN 700 days. Yeah. And real quick, let me give a little background for those people who are new to Light the Fight or you've been listening to Light the Fight and you're just new to listening to OG Therapy, which is predominantly episodes for men. I don't know if you guys knew this, but sometimes men lack the ability to be, it's called it starts with a V and ends with an vulnerable. Vulnerable. Never heard that word. And so I, he's never heard that word. And so I had a lot of requests from women ask me throughout the years, could we please do something to reel the men in their lives in? And so I thought this would be a great opportunity to start something called OG therapy, where I bring on some guests that in my opinion, and from my experience work with them, they're true OGs in their own right. And Sean, you've always been an OG to me. Uh, when I first met you, it was uh, through a mutual friend of ours, Jan. And I asked you to do something. And before I get into that, uh, I just want to let you guys know, Sean did me a big favor when he first came to my social support groups for teenagers. I had a nonprofit, or I still have a nonprofit called Quit Trippin'. And I'd invite local athletes, celebrities, musicians to come down and just hang out with kids and talk. And most of the time they'd come in thinking that they're going to do some sort of like motivational speech and hang out with the kids and you know, usually asked to go as an athlete to go to hospitals and try to lift kids up. And it was quite different of an experience than most people thought it was. And so in this episode, I'm going to ask you a little bit about your memories of quit tripping and coming to the groups. But it was fun for me to do that because guys would come in and they're thinking they're going to talk to the kids. And then they'd sit down and I'd be like, just observe. Mm -hmm. And then they had to participate as they're an actual group member. And without fail... It always got the best and the most vulnerable aspects of these people that came to the group. And Sean, you did the same thing for those kids. And they still talk about you. So many kids, they'd come watch you fight. You got different types of fans. You know, they, they were watch you, they were watching you and admiring you for athletic career, but they loved you because you opened up and showed a part of yourself to them that they knew you probably didn't show to most of your peers or other people in your life. So before we get into that, though, just want to... I know it's a little awkward and uncomfortable to kind of give your own resume and talk about yourself, but I, I love talking about myself. I, that was a joke. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I just want to kind of make sure I, I don't miss anything. So, yeah. um, 
tell everybody where you're from. I'm from Utah. Well, I was born in Minnesota. I, I, I claim Sandy, Utah. That's where I grew up. Yeah. Moved to, to Utah when I was uh, nine years old. And I've left a couple of times, but I always come back in my adulthood. I've, yeah. I've moved away and come back a couple of times now. So I'm a, I'm a local Salt Lake Valley, Sandy, Utah boy. And you're a proud beat digger, right? That's right. Jordan High School beat digger. Loved my experience. Just had my, I guess, like what, a few months ago now, I had my 20-year reunion. That's a special reunion. Class of 02. Class of 02. And it was glorious. It was honestly like we kind of make fun of ourselves once you get to this age and you're comfortable. Yeah. I peaked in high school and I loved it. I, I fully <laughs> acknowledge going back and seeing all those people that I hadn't seen for a lot of them for 20 years yeah. was legitimately a euphoric experience for me. I loved it so much catching up with everyone and. You know, you, you get to a certain point in your life where you just are comfortable telling people you miss them and you love them. And we, yeah. I was able to do that with about 100 people. And it was great. It was so much fun. I'm still close friends with a lot of my peers from high school that I was really close with back then. But the ones who were also like accessory to your upbringing yeah. and your life and you have a moment with each of them and getting to see those people again. So, yeah, proud Jordan Hype Beat Digger. Uh, from there, I, I real, went Real to, quick, though, I want to ask you a question. Did you find yourself, because this happened to me at my 20-year reunion, did you find yourself, for me, I felt the need to, like, apologize for my 18-year-old <laughs> self to everyone. Only for, only to a couple people. Oh, only to a couple people. But I was You very, get what I'm saying, though? You're like, yes. hey, I really like you. You're nice. If I was, I, I was walking around saying, if I ever said anything or did anything to offend yeah. you or hurt your feelings. There's, there were probably a dozen people there who were expecting that apology <laughs> from me and never got it. So tell, I guess tell them that'll get, you'll get them on the third year after the fact. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'll see you at the 30 year. Um, yeah, no, I, <laughs> I did have a couple of those moments, but not too many of them. I, I'm proud of the way that my high school class all got along. Like we were, I think unique in the fact that didn't click up a lot and there was not a lot of like divisiveness, not a Good. lot of drama. And that came through even 20 years later. Like my, my wife who I did not go to high school with was just like, wow. Like these people are like, like friendly. They, they, everyone really seemed like they were having a lot of fun. I'm like, yeah, see, that's how high school was for us. Yeah. Sometimes reunions do get a bad rap. And, and I talked to a lot of people that when they have their high school reunion come up, they say, ah, bah humbug. I don't yeah. want to go for X, Y, or Z. And so you hear you say that that's cool because let's be honest, high school is tough, man. Uh, you know, if you're in high school and you don't have any friends, you're sitting at lunch by yourself, or you have a, a lot of drama going on in friend groups. It, you don't really get what you want out of that experience. It becomes yeah. more of like a, a reality show versus like a memorable experience. So that's cool. Yeah. So after high school, let's let's get caught up to the and future the, now. Um, yeah. So I, I went to, I thought I was a good football player in high school. And I was like, you know, I'm going to go play college ball. And I ended up bouncing around to three different schools. I graduated from the University of Utah. I was a walk-on on that football team. Uh, transferred to Weber State yep. to finish out my final year of eligibility where uh, mutual, we can call him a mutual friend now, but a mutual coach, more importantly. That's right. Ron McBride was my head coach up there at Weaver State also. Uh, and then shortly after I, I stopped my very underwhelming college football career, I was like, you know what? I got to keep competing. I got to do something so I don't just get fat and depressed or whatever. And I started fighting, started uh, training and, and competing in mixed martial arts and ended up you know, doing that for – 12 years as a professional and uh, with the help of shout out to Jeremy Horn and yeah, 
my coach, Jeremy Horn, who's uh, not too far away from where we're sitting right now. Um, you know, he was my coach for 11 of those 12 years. UFC veteran. Yep. Uh, one of the OGs, OG therapy. He's one of the OGs, right? Like one of the first Militich fighting systems. Like remember when he beat Chuck Liddell? I remember that was a big deal. Yeah. He, and you know, he beat Chael Sonnen three times. That's like, right. I forgot about he, that. He fought a who's who in the sport. And he was like, yeah. didn't he have like some crazy, like 180 fights or something like that? So I think that if you look, I, up I know that it, might be absurd. It may sound, but I, I'm not far off, right? He no, you're not of far off. If you, if you look up, I think his official record, like his official, it, like sanctioned bouts is something like 135 or 140. And there's a bunch more that are not on there because he came up. Yeah. In, in like that Midwestern scene you're where you're smoker bouts, you're fighting, fighting in a bar, bar. <laughs> like legitimately. Yeah. So <laughs> those don't really count. You know? Yeah. He would tell us stories of how, you know, they would, he, he was from Nebraska. He grew up in Nebraska. Right. And then the, the fight camp was in Iowa in Davenport, Iowa. So people yeah. who are big in the sport will know kind of the, the origin stories of, of that, but they would go like do a tournament in Lincoln on Friday night and then drive to Des Moines and do a tournament on Saturday night in Des Moines. So he'd have like six fights in a weekend, which is just absurd. That's, That's absurd. And thankfully for you, so the reason why I want you to get in a little bit about your history is, like I say, because a lot of our listeners that listen to this are coming over from our other podcast, and a lot of them are moms, and a lot of them may not know about UFC fighters. And just to let you guys know about Sean, um, his fighting style would not do really well with 180 fights. In fact, I'd probably be just talking to you with the breathing apparatus you laying in a hospital bed somewhere on a life support uh, I wouldn't system. Be, I wouldn't be coherent, I don't yeah. think, with 180 Have you guys ever seen Rocky Balboa? He's the guy that's like, hey, I'm going to go without, out there. I'm, without the skill, though. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. But just your fighting style was just... Just bang, just yeah. just just swing for the fence, and you win some, you lose some, right? Yeah. But Jeremy Horn, obviously, he could you know have a long career with his fighting style being great, jujitsu and everything. Yeah. So thankfully, he was able to polish up my help you out with that my rough yeah. talents enough to where I could have a little bit of success. Got the fight in the UFC, absolutely. Uh, Professional Fighters League, who I'm going to play by play announcer for now, had their first season with the million dollar tournament, and I I entered that and I won. Back in 2018, so... That was so huge. So if you guys aren't familiar, um, it's through ESPN, right? Yeah, we're on ESPN. So on ESPN. And so they started this big tournament because before it was just like UFC and a couple other type of organizations. They started the PFL, and it was a very... It was, it was light heavyweight, correct? Yep. Light heavyweight champion. So they re- did a tournament, and at the end of the tournament, they put the two guys up against each other, and it was on New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. And we were all cheering for, for you out there, and then when you won, I mean... It wasn't even a close fight. Like it was, we were like, you could just end this now. Like, I mean, the poor guy. First round was a little closer than I wish it was. That's true. Anyway. But by the end of the fight, it was no question who was winning that fight. And we're just so proud of you. And so, and that really catapulted your career with being an announcer for the PFL. Yeah. So you know, like in any other sport, um, you got to have a credential next to your name for yeah. people to take you seriously, right? Even as a broadcaster and. Had I not won that, I'm sure that it'd be a lot harder for people to swallow that I belonged on a desk doing broadcasting. Because you so. tried to get broadcasting jobs with the UFC, and yeah. it didn't make any sense to me why they wouldn't hire you because you had the skills, you had the chops. But it seemed like they want a recognizable UFC brand type guys. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, when I was in the UFC, when I was asking them like, "Hey, give me these broadcasting opportunities," I kind of begrudged them that that they were like, because I'm a 
a broadcasting professional. Like yeah, I've been so working in sports radio for. He had his own sports radio show at 1280 with Hans. Yeah. Olsen. Then he switched over to ESPN 700. Yep. Um, had a stop in San Francisco along the way. Like, oh, that's right. San yeah. Francisco, that's right. <laughs> I almost forgot about that. Yeah, that's right. Five seven, the game out in San Francisco. Very brief period <laughs> when there was a transition time here in the Salt Lake market where I was with uh, 1320K fan, which is no longer even a signal. Like That's right, K-Fan. K-Fan was a thing for like, you know, a little while. but And so it was very frustrating for you to not get picked up by you because yeah. they were hiring guys that had no experience. Right, but they also, you know, for an analyst, for people who were like the celebrity face, why would you choose me over, you know, Jorge Masvidal? Why would you choose me over uh, – Justin Poirier, why would you choose me over Daniel Somebody Cormier? Somebody millions of followers or on social Michael media. Bisping or some of these big names. Like, why would why would you put me on there? Even mm-hmm. if I was going to be a better broadcaster, why would you put someone who is an inferior fighter, right? So I kind of begrudged them that uh, when I was part of the UFC, but I understand it a little bit more now. And it, it actually helped it me because it motivated me. Instead of being an analyst, I was like, you know what? There's always going to be a bigger name. There's always going to be some Hall of Famer that they'd rather have, even if I'm better, they'd rather have somebody be the analyst, right? Yeah. So I'm going to do play-by-play instead. I'm going to I'm going to slide into the other chair. I'm going to quarterback the broadcast. I'm going to call the actual action. I'm going to be better at it than the average guy because I know exactly what I'm watching. I, I've experienced it. I know what it's like to be in there. And I'm the only guy in the world who does play-by-play who fought at the level I fought at, the only yeah. one. Yeah. So as an analyst, I'm not terribly unique. Yeah. As a play-by-play guy, I am quite yes. literally unique, and and so I appreciate that, you know, I was steered in that direction. In any sport, or you know, and even in dancing, whatever it may be, you want there's a nuance of someone that's been there and done that, and has the ability to articulate it at the same time in live, and like that's a, that's a different challenge being able to analyze it while it's actually happening. Yeah, it's uh, and look, it's it's been cool because to sit down and just be an analyst, um maybe wouldn't have forced me to build new skills in broadcasting the way that being a play-by-play guy it has, you know, and it's like when I, when we're on camera and I'm standing up and I'm on ESPN and like, it's me who's going to screw up the direction we take the broadcast or yeah. not. Right. It's not oh, yeah. me sitting there waiting for somebody to toss it to me. I'm the one tossing. So I had to, I did, I still need to develop those skills, but I've, I've had to develop them from zero to where they're at at this point. And so you're doing that. Um, yep. Also, just I got to mention, because I read your book a long time ago, <clears throat> an author. Sequel is coming eventually. I heard that. that I heard that you have a sequel coming out. As soon as I started reading the book and I'm sitting there, just to let you know, this guy was heavily influenced by the Polynesian culture in his life. <laughs> <laughs> For, was it the first chapter? I'm sitting there. He's talking about, yeah. And then in Laie, Hawaii, I'm like, that's where my mom's from. What do you know about that? <laughs> it's, uh, it's one of my happy places. Maybe my, like. Now that I have kids, I, I guess wherever they're at, but like, yeah, I, yeah, like in the North Shore, man, that's just it's a place where you, your soul just feels good when you're there. So, I, of course, I put it in my book and I, it's in the sequel, too. Uh, yeah. And, and when you're a recognizable person at the Kahuku Sipuret buying poke and you don't live in Hawaii, that's quite an accomplishment. <laughs> You know what? He was such a regular there. I just <laughs> drop his name like, oh, you know that? You know that, Polongi? You, you know why I love Hawaii so much, probably? is yeah. because I don't get recognized in Salt Lake City for being a fighter, for being a broadcaster, for nothing. Like, I, it's fine. Yeah. It's good to not to just be able to go live your life. But there I you get do. that little ego boost every time I go, right? 
I'll be on like the the parking shuttle that takes you to the rental car yeah. place or something, and someone would be like, "Are you that guy?" <laughs> yeah, that's me, right? Or you'll be getting whatever, getting poke, or you'll be getting a burrito or something like that, and I, it makes me feel good just a little bit. But it does. And you guys want to hear? If you want to just know Sean about his personality, now imagine you're locked in a cage with someone. But the day before, you have to stare at this person in the face. There's such a great compilation. In fact, we should probably link that to the podcast. Great compilation. So you have to sh- take pictures and shake hands with people. He had the funniest. I, I, it's 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 not even a standoff at that point, well, right? You're just. I mean, it's it, supposed to be. It's supposed to be a standoff. But he would just like guy would go shake his hand, do rock paper scissors, gave a guy flowers. You and that one guy like switched arms and like. Drunk a yeah, drink a protein shake, yeah, yeah, little yeah, yeah. wedding toast. He had all these funny things, and it was really cool because it lightened the mood. Your personality isn't that like staring a guy down, pretend like you're getting in a fight before the fight. So to see someone bring just that lightheartedness, I, I think for all the fans that were watching during your career, it was it was just it, it was just so fresh. It was so new. It was just different. I mean, you're gonna get in a fight anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> Whether you hate that person, you, signed you a contract. love that person, yeah, like. The way it works out, little inside baseball here, you are, when you do that face-off, you're anywhere from 24 to 30 hours away from actually climbing into that cage and punching that person in the face. On TV with thousands of people watching. Like, it's you're contractually obligated. So it's right? not the high school watching you fight. It's the world watching you so fight. So there's not really an, a point in shoving them or getting mad at them or whatever. Like, the fight's going to happen yeah. regardless. Right. So I would rather be myself in that moment and have fun yeah. and try and stay relaxed and hopefully make people laugh because that's what I do in my life. I try yeah. to entertain people and, and help people enjoy their lives. Make people right? feel comfortable. And like, so that's what I did with my opponents. And some of them liked it and some of them hated it. But guess what? It didn't matter because we were going to fight each other anyway. Exactly. And also, too, um, for those people who aren't used to watching uh, the UFC. And in all fighting, um, sometimes people think that they need to be dramatic to promote the fight. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, drama sells. So if there's drama, if there's arguments and fighting, it's like, oh, it's a big thing. But I think you prove that something else can sell the fight, too. Right. And then, you know, I most of my fights were very exciting. Yeah. I got, exciting. Fight, of the, I got fight of the night bonus three times for the UFC. And it was like, you know, you can be the guy who shows up and has fun and yeah. goofs off. And then you can put that away when you're stepping into the cage and you can compete as hard as anyone does. And like, that's just who I am. So I had to do it that way. I didn't know another way to do it. I didn't want to try and do it another way. If they had ever taken me aside, if I'd ever become like a big star for them, maybe they would have been like, no, we need you to do some of this manufactured drama thing. I couldn't have done it. You'd have been a bad heel, a bad, bad guy. I just like, you got to be yourself, especially in those moments where the stakes are so high. And you're competing in a sport like that one, or you're competing really for any job or any, like, cause that's what you're doing every time, right? You're competing for your job security and, and a big paycheck. So it's like, you got to be yourself in those moments. Well, you know, and for me, this is actually a perfect uh, transition. Cause I wanted to talk to you before you even came on here. I'm like, I got to talk to you about what was your experience? Like when you came and helped out with the kids and talk about being yourself. I'd had a lot of athletes that when they would first come to these social support groups. So if you, if you don't know exactly what I'm talking about, I mean, a lot of our listeners have been listening to me for a long time. So like, we've heard you talk about this a thousand times, yeah. but for those people who haven't heard, cause we've had a lot of new followers lately, especially since we started doing these segments, 
Um, I was put on these social support groups where we'd literally have kids from all over Utah County, Salt Lake County. We had a kid come from Hennifer. I didn't even know that was a city, like somewhere near Colorado, but in, in Utah. And people, these kids would drive from all over the place once a week just to sit in a big circle and hang out with other kids that were all going through different struggles. I called it the Noah's Ark of teenagers. Two skater kids, two like kind of drug stoner looking kids, two kids looking like they're going on a mission. It was just, you know, it, you just had everything. And sometimes I'd bring guys in there and it was really hard for them to put down that machismo, bravado, I have to be strong. I mean, eventually they would. But when you came in there, it almost seemed like, now this is just my just my interpretation, almost like you were like, thank you. Like you were almost relieved that you could be there with those kids. Cause at that time in your life, you know, you, you told me that you were going through some personal stuff or had recently gone through some personal stuff. And when you came there and you shared and were open with those kids, it, it was just, it's so cool. Cause they can watch people on TV, but they don't know those people. Very few people are willing to really put it out there. I always thought, how is a kid supposed to learn from your example? If they don't know the pain and the success story. Cause a lot of people are like, Oh, I went through hard things in my life. And anyways, if you drink this protein shake, you're going to be just yeah. like me. They, they really kind of gloss over the pain. So I, I'm, I just want to know what, what was it like for you? Do you remember, you know, I know you've been hitting the head a lot since then. Yeah. <laughs> but what, no, what, I, yeah, what was some of your fondest memories I, about coming? I there? still, I still talk to people like people who I'm close to about, you know, doing that. In fact, I know my wife probably not by now is sick of me being like, yeah, me and, me and Jan used to go to this counseling oh, yeah. group. You know, I know you don't have to preface <laughs> the story with that. You're like, I, I know, know you I know teenagers. Trust me. This yeah. one time we went to the group, but yeah, no, it was like, uh, it was a, you know, a time in life where I had been, uh, divorced fairly recently. Right. And that was, um, it wasn't one of those, like, I think for some people in their relationships, that's probably like a necessary evil, right? It's yeah. like, you got to get out of a bad situation and like, and hopefully that, you know, is constructive to their future. And, and it was hard for me to see that at that time, that like, this was the right solution. And this was like, my life was going to be okay. Yeah. Like I didn't feel that way. Legitimately. I was yeah. just like, oh, I've never, I'm just like, I failed in that most important thing that you can ever do as a human being and building a family. I failed at that, which means I'm never going to be able to have a family. And I really believe that about myself. Oh, I, I could sense it. And when you told me the type of family you came from, it, I took it as if you felt like in some way that you didn't do what you were raised to do. Yeah. And like I grew up, I'm fortunate enough to have grown up in like that all American household. Yeah. You know, my mom was a stay at home mom, a proud stay at home mom taught me that, you know, you're going to respect women. You're going to respect people who do this job being a mom. And like my dad was a guy who, who worked his way up. I don't know if you can even do it in America anymore. He literally worked <laughs> his way up from like a, like a, a menial job, kind of like blue collar labor in this company to like executive level stuff. Like he worked his way up the in American a dream without a, without yeah. a, a college education. Now he's wow. the smartest human being I know, but he doesn't have a degree. Right. So like, I don't even know if you can do that legitimately anymore. Yeah. Without a social media following. Right. And that, <laughs> that and like, that's what my dad did. And they had a, a successful relationship and four kids yeah. and like they provided for us. We never wanted for anything. They're still married. They're still in love as far as I know. Right. Like so. that's the example I came from. And I was the dude who screwed up the stuff that is supposed to matter. And that's kind of the, like I came into 
group expecting that these kids were going to want to know what it's like to be a pro fighter. Yeah. What's it going to be like to like, I want to talk to this guy about, uh, you know, football. Although Jan would be a much better person to talk <laughs> to about football. Cause he was a thousand times better than I was. But like, I remember when we went to group and it was like, you're just people sitting around talking about what works, talking about what doesn't work. And, um, it, first of all, it, it probably provided me a much needed perspective on like slap yourself in the face, quit yeah. with this poor me. Shit, you're fine. Yeah. You some of these I mean? kids have some messed up lives. Exactly. Some tough things that they're going through. <laughs> exactly. Like, and, and, you know, you mentioned my family background, like the backdrop of which I judge everything and look at everything and process everything yeah. better or worse is because of the way I was brought up and yeah. by the people I was brought up by. Right. And then I'm talking to some of these kids who, you know, hate their parents. Parents aren't around. Like, uh, you know, mom they had and, suicide attempts. Exactly. Like they, they just having all of this, like this stuff that I would not have been able to survive when I was 16, 17, 18. You had a great high old. school. You had good friends. I like, yeah. I, I was the opposite of what these kids are. Right. Yeah. I was the guy who had the, the deck stacked in his favor and screwed it up. You weren't eating lunch by yourself. No. And these were like the Island of misfit toys. In it a really lot of was. Ways. Yeah. <clears throat> and Yet we all could have these conversations and talk about what we hoped for and what scared us and things like that. And it was just a really cool experience getting to know some of them and, um, you know, getting to see that the the grass isn't greener on the other side. I think they would see it and we would see it. Right. Yeah. You know, and it was just a, it was a good experience to be around people that um, were in various stages of recovery in various stages of mental health in various stages of social health in various stages of education grief, and life trauma. and grief trauma all these things right and it was like i had successfully compartmentalized all that stuff i, I mentioned right like my own perception of personal failure i'd successfully put that away in its little box because it didn't serve me yeah. to be something i thought about and then going to group you have to it's, like, to, it's it's the only requirement to be there is you just got to be you. You got to yeah. be real. So I had, you know, I had packed all that away and I was able to kind of like unburden myself while hopefully helping other people. And it was like, it was very important for me. I don't know if you remember, but you were an actual legend at group because of what, I mean, they loved you for just, you know, for when you came. But one particular time, uh, we did this thing that was the most requested thing. So usually the group where kids would come, we'd have like anywhere from 20 to 45 kids in a circle. It, I mean, just and it was everyone just came willingly. They brought their friends. And one time I told the kids, hey, we're going to do something that they always requested. And it was called clay. Dude, you're like, <laughs> it's already so, messing me up. I okay, so I, we don't have to get in too deep, but... So these kids, when I first started doing it, they were tripped out. So in graduate school, they would teach us how to use like, um, so if there's any art therapists out there, you know that music and art and all these things is a way to express yourself. If you do therapy, like actual therapy, by the way, these groups weren't therapy, but we'd bring in some of those tools sometimes. And if you have a child and the child can't articulate and express the hurt, pain, trauma that they're going through, they do things called play therapy. And so you give kids like toys, next thing you know, it tells a story like they yeah. literally build it and the kids don't even know that it was in them. So I started doing this thing with clay where I'd get blocks of clay and I'd tell the kids just play with the clay and see what happens. They're like, well, what do you mean? See what happens? I'm like 
just play with the clay, just hang out. And you know how you're doodling on a piece of paper in class when you're supposed to be paying attention? At least that was me in school. And I'd be sitting there going, oh my gosh, that's a picture. It just turned into something that I was thinking about. So the kids would play with it and then they go have this thing inside their, in their hands and the whole group would weigh in about what they thought it was. And it was always just this cathartic reaction for everybody. It was like, whoa, I didn't know that was in me. And so one time he came and so we're doing the clay and we're doing this thing and you're sitting next to me and I'm, I keep on looking over at you and you're just like, just, <laughs> just like staring at the clay. I was like, hey, do something. Like there's just this moment like you're like just like this blank dead look like you like it. And then all of a sudden I'm talking, I turn around you know, and like you were just, like you look like you knew what you were doing. I don't even know what happened. And all of a sudden I look over and I'm like, wait, what is that? So it comes around to him and right when it got to you, just waterworks. You were just crying. All the kids were like, okay, before you got to say anything, why don't you guys tell him what you think it is? And then right when you heard all those kids talk, it was like, how the heck could these kids know? These are just teenagers. Like, how could they interpret what you're going through? They really hit it on the head. Then you just add the context of the stories behind it. So obviously you do remember that. I actually wasn't even sure if you did because they, for years afterwards, are like, Hey, we should do that clay thing. Oh yeah, and tell that fighter guy, OC, to come back because we really because for a moment they felt like they weren't the only ones broken in the room, and that is a powerful thing to know that someone else can feel pain with you as well. I'm glad I could provide them that <laughs> that commonality. No, I I remember that, and I re, I remember so I remembered that pretty recently because I have a I have a one year old, uh, and. I knew you were gonna do this to me. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? It ended up <clears throat> the piece of clay was a little hand. I made like a little hand out of clay. Yeah. And it looked like a little baby's hand. <clears throat> and I even then a long time before I became a father, I knew that that was like my life, what I was supposed to be. Subconsciously, I guess, at that point. We want to be like your dad. Exactly. Yeah. And I had, I had written off that possibility. Like, I didn't think it was ever going to happen. By the way, guys, he wasn't joking. He said he was pretty shut off. When I first like, met you, you're just like, I'll come do this for the kids. But if I would have told you that that was going to happen, you might not have showed I up. I probably wouldn't have showed up, yeah. right? But I like... But yeah, that's what happened, and that's what we ended up talking about, right? And I was bawling like a baby, probably worse than I will ever again in my life. But, but um, when like if you have children, if you have little babies, you know that their hands are not like these rigid; they're not formed. No, they're like little. they look like they're made out of play doh. Yeah, they look like they're little right, soft and they're squishy. like little gooshy, like you You're know, scared you could break it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and like. So my little one-year-old daughter's hands look like that until pretty recently, you know? And I've I've had that kind of, like, realization. It's a happy one now. Yeah. Um, many times when, you know, one of my daughters has got her little hands, little chubby fingers wrapped around yeah. my finger or, like, whatever. Like, there was a time where I was shut off this being a possibility. Like, I really... I know people get out of bad relationships and they say, I'm never going to see anyone again. Or like people get divorced. Like I'm never going to get married again. Like whether they believe that or not is all their business. 
I was 100% certain that I was never going <clears throat> that I was never going to have what I have now. I knew it. When we did that thing yeah. when we when we were in group and and it's not like that moment changed my perception of yeah. it. It's not like oh look, I made a baby's hand out of clay, which means this so will now happen. I'm healed. For, <laughs> so this will happen for me someday. It was more like I was just acknowledging like like okay, well, that that messed me up. I I knew, not thought, I knew that I was never going to be a dad. I was never going to have children. You made Jesus need a ring and a baby. Yeah. I did. I actually you're right. I made a ring and a baby. Yeah, it was hand. a ring and a baby's hand. And like um I I knew that was never going to be part of my life again. I didn't, like even as we were like processing and talking talking about it like and the kids were saying like, "Oh, this is like you got some family stuff, <laughs> yeah. right? Like the kids who had didn't know, and most of them didn't because we hadn't had those conversations. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, I, you know, I made some horrible decisions in my life and did some things that have now disqualified me from, from this, from marriage and family. Yeah. And I knew that I was never going to have it. And it was like, it hollowed me out pretty good. You know, it sucked. And I, and I, I acted in ways in my life that were kind of like supportive of that note. Like you don't have to worry about this because you're never going to have that. Yeah. You it was know? almost like you check that box off. That's off the menu. That's not even on the menu. Yeah. Anymore. So it's like, you don't, you don't do things the right way, right? You don't plan for your future in the same way. Yeah. Because when you're, I guess I was what, 26 at the time, yeah. 25, 26. And you're just like, I'm never going to have to worry about children, marriage. Like it's, I'm done. You don't conduct yourself in the same way as someone who has those goals and who thinks that's going to be in their future. You don't save your money the same way. You don't treat people the same way. You don't communicate. You don't keep the relationship. Like you just, it's like, oh yeah. It's more of a self-centered endeavor at that time. hundred percent. It's a more, and which, you know, like for, if you want to be a fighter and I was a fighter at the time, like being selfish is part of that world as well. It's all about you. You know, and, and like that, that's a very, that world on its surface is like kind of like perfect for someone who's in that mindset. Yeah. We're just like, you're going to have these. Because it requires it. You're going to have these transactional relationships. And you have a team that's focused on you. Yes. And your growth, not their growth, your growth. Right. So you're going to be like, you're going to be kind of a sponge. And, you know, if you give back a little bit, then people will be like, oh, yeah, that's cool. But it's not a requirement. Right. Yeah. And like I was in that space in my head, in my heart at the time and group brought it out. And it was like. And it didn't change, like I said, from that moment, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, Dave. Cause fix me. So now, <laughs> Hey, I'd be charged a lot of money yeah. if I could do that. So now I'm on, so now I'm on the hunt to go find my soulmate and like pop out some babies. It was not like that at all. It was just like, yeah. it was kind of like a, all right, well now everyone knows I'm sad about it instead of like, just, it just like, took it from here to here. Yeah. And it was just like, yeah, it was really, it was, it was a crazy experience. Cause it was like, you know, a bunch of strangers Yeah, got to see that like, something that I didn't really talk about anymore, except with the those closest to me, like I was pretty messed up by yeah. the, that fact. And it made us all closer, right? Like I'm sure I could run into people from that group that I haven't seen in the 10 right. years since. And like, you know, we'd have that connection. So I guess that's good. Absolutely. Well, I want to share something that I thought at the time and now, cause at the time I really didn't know you. I mean, I knew Jan really well. I just didn't know you. And so at the time I thought, 
oh damn, we just opened up Pandora's box. Yeah. I was like, we we open we open up something that's been closed for a little while. I thought it was kind of like so you said it didn't change you, but the way I saw the time was like this is the start of a type of grief. Because grief is really the loss of any important significant relationship in your life and it doesn't have to be an actual death. In fact, some would argue it's easier to grieve the death of a person that you see get buried in the ground. You say goodbye, the ceremony happens, you cry, you go through that, you know where they're at. But when you lose or there's a death of a relationship and you see that person around town, people are talking about them, especially if it affects your reputation, especially a guy like yourself, you're not going around wanting people to dislike you. You want people to like you. Some people can be the like, I don't care if people like me, but that's that wasn't you. And so I, I really saw that it was like, this guy's opening up some, like he's starting to grieve now. And grief is, you know, it's it's complicated, man. Because those relationships are hard because you don't know. It's like, all right, well, I go through a divorce. I, I used to always, I don't know if I ever told you this before, but I used to always joke around with some of my clients that would tell me about the pain they're going through a divorce. I'd say, hey, listen, there's lots of people in my life that I've thought at times that, you know, they could probably, men specifically, not women, but they'd probably benefit from getting their butt whooped. Like, they, they need that. But I would never wish a divorce on anyone. Yeah. Because you don't know how, I mean, you get you get beat up, you know, break your nose, ah, six months, you know, six weeks, whatever, you know, it'll heal. But that could damage someone permanently from believing to not believing in the sanctity of marriage to believing that you that's off the menu for you. You can't do those things. So I just saw that that was like, Okay, there's something here that this guy took from his blind spot, and now it's at his, now it's right in front, clear and present. And you know, it still took many years before I took any relationship seriously in that way, or um, you know, had those thoughts about like this could be the mother of my children, yeah. kind of thing. Like it, it was many years even after that moment. Um, but the reason I got emotional talking about it is because now I know. Yeah. Now I know what I would have missed out on if I had stayed in that, up. right? If I had like, like put that box away and never brought it out. And if I, if I had never like, whatever, you know, recovered from that, that state of mind, like my two daughters are, and I think parents understand this, but like everything else I've done, I'm proud of my accomplishments professionally. And I'm, I like the jobs I still have. And I, I feel like I have great friendships that go all the way back to my childhood. And like, yeah. I'm proud of a lot of things in my life. So I don't feel like my, my kids are only significant to me because there's nothing else. Like, I feel like I'm, I've done some fun stuff, Yeah. but the experience of being their dad dwarfs all of it put together by like, an order of magnitude. Now that you have it, it's like, it would be the ultimate FOMO. You couldn't imagine missing out on that. And and I know you can't understand it until, until it happens for you. Right. You don't understand the love you're going to have for your children until you actually hold your children in your arms or whatever. But like just the idea that I could have sacrificed that, or I could have missed out on that, like for real missed out on meeting them and on being their dad makes me sick to my stomach. It makes me emotional to even consider yeah. that as a possibility. Like their existence has given my life a meaning that it never had before. Even when I felt like my life had meaning, even when I felt like I'm a good friend, yeah. I'm a good brother. Like, uh, you know, I, I'm a good sports guy. Like people like me. None of that matters no. in comparison. And 
they're just, I mean, every, I think parents understand. Yeah. And, you know, and, and could you imagine if that guy that came to group, that was the version of you that your wife met? <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think your odds are that you would have landed, that you would have been landed that, that you would have landed that deal? Oh my gosh. I would have probably, I probably, cause I'm charismatic. Yeah. Hey, uh, hey, 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 trust me. I, I'm not saying you couldn't have and gotten I'm very good to looking. like you. Of okay. course, of course. And if I, he didn't tell you, you wouldn't have known, but continue. And I, so like, <laughs> I could have gotten a date. Exactly. But there is no way we would have ended up getting married. Like, and that, if you got in a serious relationship, you probably would have screwed it. And you it, have screwed it. It up. wouldn't have even gotten that far because at that point I wasn't like capable of the honesty necessary for my wife and I to have built yeah. the relationship that led to our marriage. Right? And any good woman's going to sniff that mm-hmm. out in the guy. Like, like my wife, our first date, and this is how I knew I needed to marry her, right? Yeah. Our, our first date, we aired the dirty laundry. Like all the stuff yeah. that had me crying in group yeah. because I had failed at marriage you the first time around. It, we talked about it on our first date. And so she put the dirty laundry out there and said, my which, armpits stink, which, which, which that, that guy who was sitting there in group wouldn't have been able to do that oh, no with, with a beautiful girl. He wanted to like him would not have been like, he'd have been like the rock, the people's eyebrow. Hey, how you doing? Like, it just wouldn't have happened that way. Right. And you know, to my lovely wife's credit, she was like, not happy about any of the things that I said. Right. Uh, but was. She was sizing you up and down after you said that stuff like hmm. appreciative of my honesty and was yep. just and I like I walked her to her car. I remember this like yesterday. I walked her to her car and I was like kind of bummed. I'm like, I'm never going to see you again, huh? And she's like, no, don't say that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, and that was her way of being like, I. So let me see how the background like, check comes out. OK, wait, like <laughs> she wasn't like I'm. I haven't disqualified you. I'm going to give you a second right. chance. You know what I mean? Do a little I due actually, diligence it's first. It's funny. I, we went on our first date, and the next day, I was going to Hawaii. I was leaving to go visit see my, boy out there? to go see yeah. my boy Keone out in Hawaii, and like, I was one date, one date into knowing my wife, and like, I ended up talking about her to him and his wife for like two hours. I remember you telling me about that, and it was like, yeah, like, so when you put it all together which I try to avoid doing yeah, <laughs> as often as I can. Um, but yeah, like that beginning of, uh, you know, whatever healing process or a relationship with myself that got better. Um, I, I would not have been prepared to have the conversations with her that led to an engagement and a marriage and what I still, you know, what is the most important thing I've ever done. And that's like becoming a father, right? Like, yeah. So fatherhood would have stayed uh, an impossibility for me probably. Yeah. Looking back on, uh, cause I remember you told me when you met her and stuff like that, what I meant by she would have sniffed it out is that when you, when you like very similar to me and my wife immediately, I was like, I have to respect this woman. There's something about her. I was like, if I bring my weak game from like way back in the days, <laughs> It's like I, we forget, like we have no idea what it's like to be a beautiful woman. Right. How many stupid sales pitches they've heard? How many charlatans, snake oil salesmen, them trying to like get them to date them? So they're looking at us like this is a serious job interview, and we're like, ah, right. okay, so you know what I'm saying? My wife is, I think, 
more unimpressed by me than any other human being. Like Good. Any other... That's why it works. That's why it works. Yeah. Right. Because it was like, I was, you know, like I, when we met, I had a, a good job. I had a yeah. show on local radio that everybody yeah. listened to. Like I, my face was on a billboard. I drove past yeah. my own face on a billboard when I was driving down to meet her. Yeah. Getting dates get was not a problem. Keeping them was the problem. It was like, like I, you know, I was, I was an active, uh, or recently in the you know, been in the UFC and like people, people knew me or yeah. whatever, you know, she was like, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. I don't yeah. care. In fact, in her mind, that made you more suspicious. Because those guys tend to like themselves a little bit too much. Correct. Or as I like to say, they never met a mirror they didn't like. And that is me. Yeah. It still is me. (laughs) It's still, like, to be fair. But, yeah, like, her her dad had, she, you know, she had, like, asked around. And we didn't have, because she's a lot younger than me, so we we didn't have, like, mutual friends. We didn't have, like... Oh yeah, my cousin went to school with him because we're. Seven she was like, years my apart. uncle went to school with him. Yeah, yeah, it's more like, yeah, it's like, not that big. Of a okay, but it's like we're seven seven yeah. years apart, yeah. right? So it's like, you you don't have yeah, Utah for those who are listening from out of state. Like, it's a big city here, million people, but it's a small town, small lake city. It's, people know like, yeah. if it's you're within three years of somebody, you know someone who knows someone, right? So they had done their homework. Of course, her dad. Her dad had an employee who was the mother of someone I had worked with at the radio. Mm. And this lovely lady had said, no, he's a nice guy. Like, you should at least go out with him. Dodge a bullet there. Yeah. Huh? I paid her. Yeah, paid her off well. No. But, like, it was, this, it was like a refreshing yeah. in, in a lot of ways because she was just, like, like, open to the idea of, like, all right, I want to get to know you. Even after... I aired all of my dirty laundry in one. But she didn't buy it all wholesale, though. But she was just yeah. like, oh, "We'll see." Yeah. And I was just like, Oof. "And uh, you know, I had to put in a lot of work. Still do, right? That's I, what marriage is, is about, right? Like, you got. You, I, I have to. I have to work harder to impress my beautiful wife than I than anyone else in the world. And that's probably for me important. I don't know if that works for every relationship, no, but I, for me, it's like. I, I, if it makes you feel any better, I, I can totally relate. Cause you know, my wife's six years younger than me. And you know, when we first got married, she'd ask me things like, cause we actually had a mutual friend. So my roommate, Jamal up at the U, um, he, he had worked at a job with her. She was just a hostess at this restaurant and he was like parking cars when he was done playing football. Right. Yeah. He was younger than me. She was younger than him, but she worked at the same restaurant. And so we had a mutual friend. And uh, she asked me, she says, oh, what, what do you think would happen if, if we would have met each other when you're in college? Like, do you think you would have liked me and stuff like that? Uh, my exact answer was like, oh, I would have liked you. Yeah, that's not a question. <laughs> that's not the problem. I said, <laughs> you would have probably sniffed something out after the first date. And for me, my ego, if, like, if I couldn't get a girl to be mesmerized by my charm and my charisma after the first date, I didn't want to put in effort into that because – there's a lot of girls that they just looked at me like this. And I was like, oh, she's not buying what I'm selling. Okay, next. Move on. I didn't want to waste my time with someone that could see right through me because I wasn't ready to be vulnerable and transparent like that. And it sounds like that's pretty much what you just described versus the guy that came to group versus the guy that met your wife. Yeah. And it's like, you know, she, it, it worked out, obviously. Uh, I think. I hope. <laughs> Maybe. Right? Um, but Currently at the moment. Yeah. But it was, uh, you know, it's like this. It's a different experience. It's, it's a new kind of like level of um, communication when you can start with with that. Yeah. And that was like 
group in a lot of ways, right? Because I don't know why. Yeah. I don't. Maybe maybe my wife. You can do a podcast with her. Maybe she can describe. <laughs> maybe she can describe the reason why like that conversation happened that way. Because that's not exactly the mo for successful dating life, right? That that's actually a good idea. Maybe we should start bringing couples on here, OG couples. And, and get the real background, get like the behind the scenes type of information. Well, um, so, so that brings me up to something I want to talk to you guys, talk to you about. So in group, I had little Jedi mind tricks such as the clay. People like, oh, play with clay. It seemed innocent. Yeah. Then they're bawling and they're like, you tricked me. Even the kids were like, wait a second. This is not what I thought it was going to be. So on the podcast, I think I bring some of that same energy to the podcast and do something very simple and basic that most people have heard of before. You know, I didn't sign up for any more of your tricks. <laughs> well, see, you guys got to hear about the story. We want to do something live, though. We want okay. to do something live. Okay? All right. Okay. And first, by the way, I've counseled professionally many people in the fighting industry. Turns out that a lot of people that are really good at fighting are not good at talking about their feelings. Hmm. Go figure, right? And one person told me specifically, said, I'd rather get beat up in front of 10,000 people than answer your question right now. And he was not lying. He was being very serious. And I knew he was being serious. He eventually answered it. And, you know, obviously you don't see fighters cry in the ring. So that was, <laughs> that's what he was saying. I'd rather get beat up than have to cry right now. So um, we're going to do an old-fashioned word association game. Okay. So I'm just going to say a word or a phrase. And you just say the first things that come to your mind when you hear said word and phrase. Don't worry, I'm going to give you some softballs. We're going to lob up some easy ones for you, you know, before okay. we get into the deep water right. with the great white sharks. Okay. Um, college football. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Fun. Is that okay? No, no, you can elaborate on it. Like, say the first thing and then kind of elaborate on it. Uh, I'll say this. Um, first, first love with sports. Okay. Like... I love fighting. College football is the thing that I'm like, that's the that's the girl that got away. Oh man, put you in the friend zone. I Me did, too. I didn't have a I didn't have a great like career myself, but it's still the thing that my favorite thing to watch, my favorite thing to cover, my the favorite thing to talk about. The relationships. Eric Weddle, right? One of your like one of your good friends. Good buddy. Like that's one thing. Even though I had a terrible career and I like had to confront the idea that maybe I wasn't as good of a football player as I thought I was. Like. You got a nickname from it, though. The relation don't start. The relationships, <laughs> the relationships have lasted me. You know, lifetime. I think we can say a lifetime now. It's been fifteen years, but sixteen years. But it's like I'm still very close friends with people from that experience, oh, and yeah. I wouldn't have met them if it weren't for being college football. Any other way? I mean, I mean, from Eric. Well, I mean, that's the famous name. So obviously, yeah. we name a name dropped that one. But all the other guys I know, you're friends with it. Whenever I bring up your name or whenever they, they heard us working on ESPN together, like, you work with OC? I love OC. That's my boy. And then everybody would tell me a story. And I'm like, wait, who's this guy you speak of? Because they were using a name that I just didn't refer to. <laughs> you gonna I say- Are you going to make me tell you that story on this podcast? <laughs> just real quick, to get real, real quick. Real quick. It's a funny story. So just give us a – It's actually a great story. Yeah, it's um, great. That's why and I brought the, it up. And it got me, and it got me a job. That's I. That's right. That's the, right. The Hands and OC show does not exist if it wasn't for this story. Okay, well, play, tell the story. Tell the story because we do have a lot of. So the fathers are listening. So we have a lot of people that are local college football fans. So. Okay, so uh, my college, my college football friends call me Murph. Yep, and that's because I was a walk on. Right when you're a walk on, they don't bring you to to. 
to camp in the off season. They don't, People don't really even talk to you at first, right? They, they, you're nothing, <laughs> right? And like they, so you get you get to when you're just joining the team as a walk on, you get to come on the first day of school. Because there's limits as to how many people they can invite to football camp in the offseason, right? So and back in those days, you didn't get free meals. You got nothing, right? So like the whatever, 20 or 25 of us walk-ons all showed up after everyone else had been practicing for five weeks already, right? Yep. So the coaching staff knows the scholarship guys, and they know it. Like they've established relationships already, this pecking order. And then all of a sudden, you throw 20, 25 new people in, and this is the Urban Meyer-coached Utah football team, right? And his his thing that he said on the first day of practice, all you new walk-ons that just showed up, stay the out of the way. That was like the welcome you got. Yeah. Stay out of the way. Not welcome to the team. We're excited to have you contribute. You're stay, part of the family. No. Stay out of the way, right? So that's where you're at on the totem pole. Well, we're in a situation when you're a walk-on, you're playing scout team, right? And you do, when you're playing scout team, you don't run your own team's defense. I was a linebacker. You're basically just a tackling dummy. You don't run your yeah. own team's defense. You run whatever the, the opposition is going to run. So Pretending to be the other team. They got cards like this where they've got X's and O's drawn, and they say, this is you, all right? You're the X, yeah. and you're going to shoot this <laughs> gap, and you're not going to go too hard, but you're not going to go too soft, all right? You're going to go like – Probably as fast as you can run, but it's not as fast as a that starting can linebacker run. <laughs> can run, okay? But that is Chris Kemoyatu, and if you hit him too hard, he's going to kill you, all right? So hit him, but don't hit him too hard. It's just like Don't this. hit him below the waist because they'll kill if you try to take their exactly. knees out. Yeah. Exactly, right? So you're in this situation where you're just like – and by the way, you're coming from a high school where you're like Good. a team captain and you're – all state and everyone knows your name. And, and you know, the only way you get a scholarship is you got to make those guys look bad. And it's, it's just the worst situation in the world. Yeah. Right. But anyway, you do what you got to do. So the graduate assistant who is like, all right, we're holding up this card. This is the defense we're running. Uh, there's no, there's no strong side linebacker in it. it's nickel defense. Okay. Yeah. There's no, so I run off. Whoop. I'm gone. I'm on the sideline and offense breaks the huddle and there's at, they're out of sync. They don't want nickel defense. They want base defense. They don't want nickel defense right now. So Urban Meyer is freaking out at this, whatever he is, 25-year-old dude who's trying to be part of the staff. Running the scout team. Fish, get your card right. What the bleep, right? And so he looks over at the sideline, and he is, he met me the day before. Yeah. And I told, him name, to him. He, I told him my name is Sean O'Connell. And he, that's my name. <laughs> That's my actual name. He's like, he looks at the sideline. He goes, Murphy, Murphy, Murphy. <laughs> and he's looking like in my general direction. And you're like, and I look to my left <laughs> and it's Singa Iloa. Okay. No one thinks his name is Murphy. <laughs> all right. I look to my right and it's Loma Olavau. Yeah. He's not a Murphy. No, no one thinks his name is Murphy. And I'm like, who, who are you talking to? And by now, the offense is paused. Everybody's staring at you. Urban's looking over here. Everyone's – and I'm like, who, who are you talking to? You, mother – and I'm just like <sighs> – so I run out there, okay, on the hop. I run out there, and, I, and he's like, what are, what are you doing? I'm like, my name is not Murphy. <laughs> and I'm trying to say it loud enough so everyone knows yeah, that yeah. I'm not the one who screwed this up. My name is not Murphy. He's like, oh, my bad. What is it? I'm like, it's O'Connell. He says, I knew it was Irish. 
And then he's like, just run the card, right? So meanwhile, everybody's dying laughing. Everyone's <laughs> la- everyone who's heard this is laughing, but yeah. but practice is split in half. Starting yeah. offense is with us. Starting defense and scout team offense are on the other practice field, yeah. right? You're running both things at once. And so everyone over here is laughing. Nobody knows my actual name yet, except yeah. for like the other walk-ons and a couple of guys I knew from high school days yeah. and a couple of snow college transfers, whatever. But like, <laughs> so they don't know who I am. And now the only name people have heard with me is Murphy. Is Murphy. <laughs> is Mur- so that immediately becomes Murphy. And that's the thing about real nicknames. You don't get to pick them. You know, no. You do not get to pick those so, nicknames. So for the rest of my college career, it was Murph. Even when I transferred to Weber State University, a couple it of my fellow youths came with me. And it was just like, no, nah, it's Murph. So I, Sean would call him, no, his name's Murphy. Yeah. Like, Shut up. I'd be like, gosh. And then, like, my, my first audition week trying to get a permanent job in Sports Talk Radio, I'm doing a show with Hans Olsen, right? And Aaron Roderick, who's on the staff at the University That's of right. Utah. He's a receivers coach, right? Yes. Yeah. He was coming on to talk about Utah practice. Yeah. And Hans goes, hey, this is so terrible. Hey, A-Rod. You know, they were teammates yeah. in college, so yeah. they're buddies. Yeah. A-Rod, you know, hey, what's going on, man? He's... Like, gr- glad to have you on. You'll never believe who's hosting the show with me. It's, it's Sean O'Connell's doing the show with me. And A-Rod's just like, <laughs> Sean O'Connell? He's like, he's like, cool, cool. And you can tell that he's, like, doing the courtesy, like, yeah. oh, oh, hey, what's up, man? And I'm just, like, crestfallen. I'm just yeah. like, oh, no. <laughs> and Hans is looking at me kind of confused. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, coach, it's, it's Murph. And he goes, Murphy! He, didn't, he wasn't seeing you. It was, it was on a call. And he, right? would, yeah. he, like, he didn't know the name Sean O'Connell. Yeah. He knew Murph. So then he's just like, oh, hey, Murph, what's going on, man? And, like, so then we do the interview, and then we go to break, and Hans is like, what is that about? So he told the story. So I had to tell the story on air. And now, however many people are driving home listening to this are laughing their asses off at my expense. <laughs> but they've decided that that's... Yeah, you know, good enough content to give me a job. <laughs> well, it's funny because, like, if someone makes you laugh or a funny situation like that, it it's memorable. It's just something yeah, yeah. about like no, that was... that people remember that more. That's that's classic. Because when you were on the show with uh, with Hands, it, it was great. Like the two of you were awesome. And Hands is such a funny guy. I could see. I didn't hear that episode. I could see him just dying and talking oh. about it forever. He probably he still would... talks about it when he sees when he introduces people. Hey, I had to. I had to be like, okay, but here's the rules. If you knew me from that time of my life, yeah. you can call me Murph. I'm like Hans. You can't call me that. And he's Hans. Like, yeah. what am I gonna What am I gonna yeah. do if he he's like, calls sure, me Murph? That? <laughs> but I'm like, no, please, really don't. Like, it really, <laughs> like that will bother me if you do that. Yeah, and yeah. So he was cool about it. He was just like, okay, I'm not. But people still do. Like, people oh, yeah. on Twitter will still just be like, Murphy, what do you think? And I'm like, you don't get to call me that. Well, I remember the first time I heard it was you guys had Eric Whittle on ESPN 700. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting ready to do my quit trip and radio show, and I'm just listening. And you'd bring me in every now and then. We'd talk, whatever. And also, he's like, yeah, yeah. And he just started saying, Murph, Murph. And I was like, sitting, I'm like, and I realized he was talking about you. Yeah. I remember after the show, I'm like, Murph. And you're like, <sighs> then you told me the story. I was busted up because that's like some of my best friends. I gave them their nickname. And it, for in college, it still sticks, and they hate me to this day for it. Yeah, because it was just one of those nicknames that they did not want, but it just it was the story. I'm, at least it's like an actual story. The yeah. funny, the funny thing about it is like, so over the next, I was a, I was a, a sophomore. Yeah. At this time, junior year yeah. and senior year, like, 
Pate Maleni, you know yeah, the Maleni family. Yeah. Pate transferred to Weber State with me. Oh, okay. When we did like the senior day graduation, you know, they announce your name going yeah, out there. Yeah, yeah. He was like, John O'Connell, what? <laughs> he didn't even know who you were. I'm like, Pate, you've been like You've known you, me for how many years now? We've been friends for three years now, and you still thought my name was Murphy. He's like, he's like, Yeah, I thought your name was was Sean Murphy. And I was like, <laughs> You idiot. So like there's that, pe- that's such a typical poly thing too. Like only know I've like Serbi called me Kaz because my last name's Kozlowski, right? It after we graduate, people are like, dude, I don't even know your first name. No one even knew my first name. Yeah. Like, it's on the freaking the 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 freaking uh the the press guide. Like it's yeah. Like, no, they don't, they don't look at recall, that. Yeah, no recall. They don't look at that. Yeah. Robert Conley, uh, Big Con. Everyone loves Big Con, right? Big up, great offensive line when he was at at the University of Utah. He was like he was really confused because he was miffed. like he was like. Wait, wait, wait. So your name is Sean Murphy or it's Murphy O'Connell? And I was like, no, Con, it's Sean O'Connell. Murphy just got brought up as a nickname. And then you heard my name was Murphy because everyone was like using my nickname. And he's just like, but Sean, um, it's because it's an Irish name. And he's just like, no, man. He's like, I grew up in Houston around all black people. And I got like 10 friends named Sean. I'm like, that doesn't mean it's not an Irish name. Con. Like we had like these conversations yeah. Years later would still persist, and it was just like, man, this is crazy. But that's funny. That's funny. Okay, well, I got one more for you. I had a bunch here. I was just kind of vibing out to, okay. to see how how it, was, right. how it was gonna go. Okay, the last one for you is Jan Jorgensen. That's my brother, Jan Jorgensen. Tell tell the listeners about that. So Jan, uh, all American football player, defensive end at BYU, who somehow some way through whatever impossible circumstances have to align against someone ended up um not getting his cup of coffee in the nfl at least yeah. right which is nuts you watch the guy's college film he should have at least had tryouts like, had like yeah it's i'll let jan come on your podcast and tell yeah. the story of all that stuff but uh fortunate for for those of us he was working in radio when i was working in radio we worked for the same station he was on the afternoon show, the the midday show, I was on the morning show. He also uh, elected to, you know, get over his anger about unfulfilled football dreams by being a professional fighter. So we trained together. We lived together. Um, became really close buddies. We went to group together. He's the one who introduced me to you. And, um, yeah, we, <laughs> we, we've done everything together. Like, we, we've traveled together. We've trained and fought and we've been unemployed together. We've been like, we lived <laughs> together. Gone through breakups together. <laughs> we went through breakups together. We got married at the same time. Uh, you overate together late at nights <laughs> all the time. Yes. Um, and we got married right around the same time and we became fathers for the first time one week apart. Exactly one week. His son was born one week after my daughter was to the day. Um, and for those of you guys can't tell, he's trying to hold back some tears right now because there's something more to that story. And that's Jan's story to tell. So I'll let him do that. Um, but his children are my nephew and niece, and he's my brother, and he's uh, a great man. And I've uh, I've been blessed in my life to have him uh, be a part of my life. And now he's back. He's He's been in the college coaching world, right? Yeah. Um, and he's been like on the grind and climbing the ladder. Coaching and, at BYU. 
and now he's he's on the staff at BYU as a defensive analyst, and he's back home where he belongs. I think. I mean, BYU is very lucky to have him, and uh, I'm, I'm huge admiration for Kalani Sataki, who obviously is the head coach at BYU, and like Kalani never coached Jan. Kalani was on our Utah staff, yeah, and so Kalani never coached Jan. Uh, but Kwani and Jan have known each other and known of each other for a long time, and now they're on the staff together. And I think that's like, that's two men I admire greatly that are both great defensive minds, I think, that are going to end up doing really good things for BYU. And I hope that relationship persists for a long time. But yeah, Jan is, uh, it's overused, this cliche that like, my friends are like family, and my work people are my work family. Yeah. And like, I get a little bit salty about that because it's like, but would you die for that person who works exactly. at the Cheesecake Factory with you? <laughs> like, don't call them. Your Just because they covered your shift one time? Don't call them your work family, okay? Yeah. Don't call them like your whatever. Like, if they're your family, you would kill or die for that person. Yeah. And I know Jan would for me, and I certainly would for him. And, like, so, you know, he's family. Well, the reason why I, I put his name on the list, I mean, for a lot of obvious reasons that you and I both know, is just your 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 brothers, right? Like, and and everything that you guys have been through, and you're right, it is his story to tell. And I and I wasn't trying to set this up so that you would tell the story, but I did want to share because, you know, I hope that Jan, you know, when the time's right, I'd like him to come on, you know, and it's not now, right? Yeah. It, you know, sometime in the future, but um. The fact is, Jan went through a horrible tragedy recently. And I've seen personally when I've counseled people and whenever they lose a loved one, you know, lose a child specifically, the only thing that sustains them through that is their closest relationships. When you don't have to tell people what you need and they just know, think of how much energy you get to save. Because usually when people go through grief and the, the loss of a loved one, people will come up to them and say, hey, what can I do for you? Now, the person that hears this from the people I've counseled throughout the years, they look at the person or like, I, I, I have no idea what I need. I've never been through this. I have no idea how to articulate what I need, let alone I don't want to hurt your feelings because I know you're just trying to help. But when you have people that just show up know exactly what you need, know exactly what to say, and they don't require anything from you, those are the people that all my clients have told me, if it wasn't for them, I couldn't have made it through the worst time of my life. And I just want, even though you know this, I just want to say that Jan is just as lucky to have you as his friend as you are to have him as your friend. And both being fathers and, and having kids, like I, I, I thought it was a month part, but it was just a week apart. One week, yeah. Jeez, I remember you guys telling me that. A, my daughter was born on a Monday, and his son was born the next Monday. Yeah. And for those of you that have close friends, and you guys get to share something together, my wife and her best childhood friend—they're still best friends today. Our daughters are best friends. It's like such a cool thing, that's really right? Cool, yeah. And it's just, and so when you have those types of connections with your friends, it's a bond that's really hard to describe. But I put that on there because. I want when he hears this podcast, I just want him to feel your love. And well, and, and even though he knows, sometimes it's it's just it's just good to hear it, you know. Well, Jan, I love you. And one thing I want to say about um that situation, um when they experience their their loss, like Jan and I go back all these years, right? Yeah. And our wives met because they're our wives. Yeah. And my wife and his wife, um, 
bonded obviously by being married to two knuckleheads but like <laughs> knucklehead therapy they call it hey what does this mean when he does this and then and then you know became mothers a week apart yeah right and all this stuff and my the way that my wife um did what you're talking about yeah for for jan's wife where she was better for for anna than i was for jan because like you were still dudes, right? Yeah. And it was like, hey, man, like, I'm here no matter what, but I'm also going to leave you alone because I think you need to be left alone with your thoughts yeah. a little bit, right? And, like, that's not what that's not what Anna needed. That's yeah, not, and my, my wife showed me, like, set an example for me of, like, intuition and selflessness and supporting a person. And how to act on it, not just think about correct. it. Correct. Yeah. And how to act on it and, and did it for someone – who obviously she knew and loved, but not yeah. nearly as well as I knew and loved Jan. Or I, I shouldn't say knew and loved. She, doesn't, she didn't know Anna for as long. Yeah, she didn't have the history there. Like, didn't have that kind of history. And just, like, it showed me something about, obviously, I think I know my wife really well, but it showed me something about her that I was just like, wow. And how, like, intuitively and instinctual it was for her where you had to, like, have it drawn in crayon for you to do it. Yeah, <laughs> and it was like, I was like, that's... And, How did you know to do that? I bet you probably thought that. And it was, times, a, it yeah. looked, to be honest, it was a bigger ask because, because yeah. that process was a, a, a lot more grueling in the moment and was like, like Jan, Jan's still working like through his stuff in, in like a, a pace that makes more sense for us, yeah, you know, men, right? And that was not a luxury that, that Anna had. No. And no, that my no. wife, Kendall, had to like, it was like, we're going to deal with this now. And it was like, it, it just, it's, pro I'm not articulating it properly, no, you but it was like, it's truly amazing what people can do for one another when they actually care. And it doesn't, you know, we, we do this thing where it's like, Hey, I'm always here for you. If you need anything, let me know. People who really need something aren't always in a position to let you know. Exactly. So you have to just, you have to be dialed in to that person. Yeah, and like that that is a gift from God. I really believe that. Like the ability that my wife displayed in order to take that on was like nothing short of divinely inspired. That it doesn't come from another place than from our creator. And however you frame that, however you believe that that is, like we're all talking about the same thing. That is the yeah. like it was really amazing and, you know, that's that's something I hope if you're listening to this, try and be that. And maybe trying isn't the way that you get to be that. But if you have an opportunity to be that for someone, take that opportunity because it's like, wow, that really shook me. Well, some people have just this natural ability that obviously they exercise in the practice, but to be an emotional support human yeah. for someone. And it, sometimes not words. Sometimes it's just an action. Sometimes just a statement that just allows that person to be like, okay, that person can finish my sentence. They know what I need. So I don't have to worry about them. Because a lot of times when someone loses a loved one and they're grieving, they actually are too worried about other people worrying for them. It's a really weird dynamic. And I know this happens with mothers a lot. My uh, um, co-host Heidi Swap, after her son uh, passed away by suicide, she had like 500 text messages. And she was trying to respond to all of them because people were like, oh my gosh, like, thank you so much. And I grabbed her phone. I gave it to her daughter. Mom, do not let your mom get on that phone. Because she thought it was her job 
to tell everybody, thank you. I'm like, no, you worry about your family and this right here. So the fact that your wife could do that for her, this is what I imagine in my mind. You looked at your wife with even greater admiration. When, when we watch other people go through hard times and you see a loved one like your wife, like just know what to do in those moments, it makes, A, you want to step up your game, but also too, it's like, oh my gosh, I did get lucky. Yeah. If there was any doubt in my mind that, because yeah. now you know if you're 80 years old, she'll push you around the wheelchair if yeah. you're lucky to make it that long. Right? Yeah. Like, you know that like you have a ride or die woman. Yeah. And, it, and it's not like it was easy, right? No. It was, a, it was like, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be in the muck with you. I'm going to help you with this. And it's going to be hard because like we, we had two small children, right? Yeah. And time is a sleep and all these things are hard to come by. And it was like, you know what? I'm here though. And like, just the, the idea I, I put myself, and this is probably a bad practice, but when I see people do things that I admire, I always end up like, would I do that? Yeah. Could I do that? Like, would, would that be my response to this situation? And in that one, I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I really don't know if I like, you know, there's the equivalent in, in the relationships. I, I know husbands of her friends that I met because of her. And if that person was this close to tipping over the edge, would I be the one that kept them on the, like, would I be on the short list of people they'd call if they really needed like, help? Could, and, and if they, yeah. if they weren't going to call anybody, would I make sure that like, I'm the one you don't need to call. I'm just showing up. Yeah. And I think the answer, I, I like to think that I'm an empathetic person and that I'm emotionally intelligent and I can connect with people and help people and stuff like that. But when I actually think about it in that context, would I be the saving grace for someone I'd known for two and a half years? I, I have a hard time saying that. Yes, I'm, I'm that dude. So my beautiful wife, you're amazing. I like that. I will never forget that time of our lives and the, the heavy lifting that was done. And I, I know that the Jorgensen family won't forget that either. Well, um, I, I think we hit our mark. I, I don't think we could top that right now, especially any with giving props and a shout out to your wife. And she's all right. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to get too big of a head. And then she starts going, okay, well, now you got to clean something when you get home. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to raise the bar too high <laughs> yeah, for you right there. Yeah. By right. the way, he's still, he's still just, you know, remember, he's a little slow. So you don't expect <laughs> him to do everything you want him to do. Nice. I get the <laughs> brain damage from the fights. Well, I, I, I hope it goes without saying, but just in case it doesn't, I just want to tell you, man, I really do admire you. I respect you and I love you. Like for you to come out to those groups and Jan, I mean, it's even more so. Jan came every week for almost two years. Yeah. Like Jan did something for those kids. It, it's unspeakable. Like what he did, the giant of the man that he has, you know, how he walks in. You know, you know that, you know that walk, Yeah, he's right? a giant man baby. Yeah, yeah. He's, just, he's a man baby. Exactly, right? He just walks in and he's like, noises with everything <laughs> right and they just sit there and wouldn't say a word for an hour and then all of a sudden he says like one sentence and all the kids start and everyone's crying. captivated everybody's yeah. captivated and they all start crying yeah where me and you like we say too many sentences i like, talk too much <laughs> me too. people talk people tune yeah. us out yeah exactly exactly yeah. but not jan just like when he picks his shot it lands so i want to thank you for that and give a shout out to jan and our heart to the jorgensen family and also too just uh Keep on doing what you're doing, man, because it's hard to be a good father and it's really hard to be a great father. That's, and, I, that's my whole goal now. Like I, the fighting thing was fun. I couldn't have done both at the no. same time. 
I'm plenty of people. Well, you could have done it, but it may have been some holes in yeah, your game. Like, like a lot of people can. I know. I know fighters who are great dads. And I'm talking about you though. Me, <laughs> I couldn't have done it, and so I'm very happy with the timeline of my life. Uh, and like, if in 15 years my daughters are listening to this podcast, I'll send. I'll send the link. There are not words in the English language or probably any other language that can express how much I love you and how you have made my life worth living. Like everything that happened from the time I was born until the time you were born, I really believe were only that that stuff only happened so I could be a good dad to you. I really believe that. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm relating to you so much. It's like, it's like they saved us from us, from ourselves. That's a that's a much better way of putting it. Like, I I hate the phrase everything happens for a reason. Unless you tell me that the reason that happened was so that you would be a good father to your children, then I'll be like, oh, okay, I'll listen to you make that case now. Yeah. Because the whole idea of destiny and the whole idea of like divine intervention in your life, while I believed it in principle i don't necessarily know if i ever bought it in full practice until i held my daughter rowan and then again when i held my daughter cameron and when i hold them every day it's wild what the kids do and it yeah and also for knuckleheads like us because we can all go back to the 2000s in our knuckleheadness we can all take a trip back there for a moment but those are constant reminders you better not get caught sleeping, man. You better not slip because everything is riding on it. If if you fail in that occasion, then it's a tough sell because I know you, you're you're your own worst critic, like most people are, but specifically you're someone that had to push yourself to become at that high level in sports and in your career, you will not accept anything short of your best now. And that's the best thing that our kids can do for us, our families can do for us. Because our, our sense of self isn't so much like who we are. It's like, what do we give them? Like yeah. I, we only know if we matter based upon what are we doing to make their life better. Yeah. I used to make fun of my dad, like not even to other people, just in my own head because I was like, my dad's kind of lame because he didn't have like a poker game that he had to get to. He didn't yeah. have like his annual fishing trip with his buddies. My dad worked his ass off to bring home the bacon to provide for us. And then he'd work those long hours and he'd come home. And what do we want to do? Sit down and have dinner as a family. Talk to his kids. Make sure we were getting good grades. Right? He wasn't scrolling on Twitter, arguing with people, looking at Instagram all my, night long. My dad, I was like, when I was a teenager, I was just like, my dad's like a nerd. All he wants to do is talk to me and read. Yeah. And now I understand that he was like, yeah, I decided that my life, the vehicle of success for me is success for you. And he's like, I want to be him now. I want to, I want to, I want my kids to think I'm exactly that lame when they're teenagers. <laughs> I want them to be rolling their eyes and be like, dad, we don't have to eat dinner together every night. Go away. Cause I felt that way. I was like, yeah. dad, I don't like, yeah. you don't have to rush home from work so that we can sit down and have a family dinner. Like you can, you can go do something else. Nope. Well, you know, in fighting, they talk about, and you know this cause that was what you're in. For a long time, they talk about there's levels to it, right? There's yeah. levels of the game. Well, there's levels of fatherhood too. 
and there's levels of sacrifice. Some dads look at sacrifice as like, I'm missing out on the golf with my buddies. I'm missing out on this and that. And others, dads are like, oh, sacrifice is just giving up something good for something better. Yeah. And I'm glad that I'm now at that position in my life, as I know you are, because you've said it many times, where I used to think about how many numbers I could get one night. Now I'm just trying to treat one girl right. You know, now I'm just trying to make sure that my wife knows every single day I'm not my former self and I'm not all these other dudes running around dance with the devil because in, in today's world, scrolling, DMing people, it's so easy to, oh, I'm just talking to a friend from high school. Oh, I'm just doing this. I'm just doing that. It's really easy for a guy to like really forget what we have at stake every single day when it comes to our family. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. And it's, yeah, like now I get to look at my father as an example I always could, but when I was a teenager, I didn't know, right? I look at him now that I'm a dad, I look at him and I'm just like, that's a guy who, look, wasn't an athlete, didn't care about the sport thing, only even learned to care about sports because I cared about sports, right? Mm-hmm. Not like the traditional, when you're a 11-year-old boy, cool dad, yeah, right? But I look at that man now and I'm like, if I turn out exactly like you, That'll be better than I'm doing right now. You're one of the fortunate young men to have a salt of the earth dad. Yeah. If you're a dad out there, try to be that for your kids, please. We need good people in the world. Enough said. I I don't think I could add to that. Well, man, thank you so much. And I think you gave me an idea. We might have uh, some OG couples therapy coming up pretty soon here. Let's talk about this. I have a let's name for the it. podcast. Okay, let's do this. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. You guys, thank you for following us here at OG Therapy. You know the deal. Instagram, YouTube, all that stuff like that. That doesn't really... If you don't follow us anything, thanks for listening to this episode. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.